at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. I hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. It is Monday, August 28th, and I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour with you to help you become a better investor. To accomplish this, I'm going to mix in some educational topics, some actionable material, as well as hit on your contribution to the show, which is your questions and comments. Those are always number one for us. So we're going to talk about the market performance and run down some show topics right after we answer our first caller question right here from 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Adrian calling from Texas. I wanted your thoughts on TPX, Temper Sealy. I recently uh, sold some stock, and so I have some free cash. I'm looking to invest into something long-term. So I want to see if you thought this was a good long-term play, and if so, what's a good target price? Thank you so much. All right, looking at Temper Sealy International, and the ch- I'll say this, the chart is strong. It's making a series of higher highs, higher lows. It keeps consolidating and stair-stepping higher. That's typically how most stocks go. Most stocks in a bull market, most people ignore those names, but those are the names that you tend to want to be in. And so from a technical perspective, I'm going to give this one certainly a thumbs up, relative strength at a 94. Now let's look into the fundamentals of the business. Now, they were doing fairly well. It's a cyclical business. We all know if times are rougher, you tend to not purchase a new mattress very often, right? You can last a little bit longer You've been sleeping on it for years now. What's another few months, maybe another year? So typically, this is a cyclical business. And they did very well during the pandemic. A lot of people pent up demand. They were home more, maybe taking more naps, using their, their, their mattress a little bit more. And they had some extra change in their pocket. And they spent a lot of that on a new mattress. Earnings went out to, all the way up to $3.19 in 2021, an all-time high from only a dollar per share in 2019 pre-pandemic. Now, that growth has slowed, or I guess is reversed, 260 in earnings last year, expected to be the same this year, and 306 next year. However, those analyst estimates continue to come down. So it looks like it continues to be in this decelerating environment. However, 260 from a dollar per share pre-pandemic, that's still a very robust business. And it shows that people still have a a good amount of change in their pocket. We've talked about that consumer spending remains strong, and they are certainly a beneficiary of that. 1% dividend yield can certainly afford that. Uh, Let's see, they have, what have they been doing with all of this earnings and free cash flow? They didn't pay down debt. I don't like that. Debt's gone from pre-pandemic 1.5 billion to 2.7 billion. And what did they spend that on? mainly share buybacks. So that's, I guess, a positive. And they're doing that at 
I think, reasonable valuations. So I like the business overall. Once again, it's going to be cyclical, so you're going to need to watch for potential turn in the consumer, and that will impact uh, this name. But the technicals are strong. They have some debt, like I said, but not so much that they that it's uh, at risk or anything like that. Uh, and they're buying back shares, which I think is a positive. So I'm going to give Tempur-Pedic a thumbs up. But I would make sure to watch out, have a stop on it. Probably the 100-day moving average is where I would have a stop on Sealy Tempur-Pedic. TPX is the symbol. All right, now let's keep, keep in mind that today, as always, I'll be providing useful data as well as my unbiased perspective developed with over 20 years of investment experience. I've been doing it for a, a long time now. And there's a lot of ground to cover, over 45 minutes. It goes by fast. And it's always better when we get your input. So uh, I always encourage you to pick up the phone, give us a call. Right, now, our main focus point is on taxable bonds and how that can fit into a portfolio. Who is appropriate for? For most people, a little bit at least is probably appropriate. And for others, maybe a lot. And then others who maybe are not a very high tax bracket, for example, maybe taxable bonds would be very limited. So we're going we're gonna to touch on uh, that topic. Also, I want to look at the growth versus value trade. What is that looking like or what does that look like so far this year and especially the last few months where I say, I've, I've been saying that trend has certainly shifted a bit. Okay. Also, I want to look at the way the SEC is treating private equity and hedge funds and how that might change that business. And then lastly, we're going to look at college. Is the degree that major universities handing, that are handing out, is that degree worth it? And the answer is mixed, and it depends really on what your major is. So we're going to look into details on those numbers. We're also going to get to some voice bank questions. One is on Next Energy and mutual funds. And then my perspective today looks in the history of coins used here in the United States. And now let's talk about the market performance today. We had a po nice positive update. The value side of the market certainly outperformed the best part of the Morningstar style box. Small cap value up 1.1%. The weakest was actually large cap value, 0.43%, large cap growth, 0.62, but definitely leaned on the value side, outperformed. Small caps were up about 80 basis points. The large caps up about 65 basis points or so. So small caps certainly outperformed on the day. You had some, some big movers. Hawaiian Electric rebounded a bit after obviously being down a ton as of late. Uh, let's see, any big moves down? AMC down another 11%. That one continues to, to struggle. Uh, but we have the PCE data on Thursday. That will be interesting. And then we have the jobs data on Friday. And that will give us some insight into the trajectory of our labor markets and the broader economy. Okay. Now, let's see if I can. I, I, let's, let's see how. Uh, so that's how I see things. And I want you to. Give us a call if you have any questions. That's what's most important to me each and every show is your calls. So 888-99-CHART is how to get your questions in. Now, have you heard about the Invest Talk Classroom series? It's streaming now for free over on our YouTube channel. Episode number four is up and it's on Deferred Sales Trusts. And this is a time-tested option to help business and real estate owners sell their assets and defer capital gains taxes. It's a really unique strategy and we talk a bit more and dig in the details 
on on the on the Invest Talk YouTube channel and our classroom series. But for now, the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions. Eight 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 ninety nine chart. When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap, because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24-7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99Chart. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Now my main focus point looks into the story. There's a strategy to using taxable bonds in a portfolio, and it depends on your risk tolerance level, your end goals. Uh, but we're let's dig into this. Now, the first question, should you have bonds in your portfolio? Most people already have equity exposure to some degree. And taxable bonds typically are a logical addition for most people, especially in tax-deferred accounts like IRAs, 401ks, because the taxable nature of those bonds isn't felt, at least immediately, okay? And now taxable bonds make up the largest segment of the bond market overall. And there are all a lot of different types of taxable bonds, treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, corporate bonds, high-yield corporate bonds, bond lo- or bank loans, excuse me, inflation-protected securities, as well as foreign bonds issued outside of the U.S. And bonds are inherently safer than, than stocks. You should know that. They rank higher in the capital structure, meaning in the event of a bankruptcy, Bonds get paid first before equity shareholders. And investors are usually on the hook for ordinary income tax when they receive this income in the year it was received. Now, there are some exceptions. For example, treasury bonds as well as treasury inflation protected security, they're exempt from state and local taxes. Not federal, but state and local taxes. So there's some benefits uh, for those. Now, bonds have generated much higher long-term returns than cash, so they're certainly better than keeping a bunch of cash earning next to nothing in your, in your savings account, for example, but they have less growth potential than stocks. Stocks have more upside, more return over time, and that makes sense. They're lower risk than equities, higher risk than cash, and therefore, they're kind of in the middle, and for some people... And for portfolio diversification, that makes a lot of sense. Now, there are two main risks for corporate bonds or, or taxable bonds, let's say that. Interest rate risk and credit risk. Last year, you saw interest rate risk rear its ugly head in a huge way for anything with duration. I mean, we know 
Higher interest rates means lower bond prices. Now then there's credit risk, and that is default. Mainly this applies to corporate bonds, but can apply to municipals and, and other types of foreign bonds as well. So taxable bonds are middle of the road in risk and return, but they can have big down years like last year. Some years over down over 15% or more. And in bad years, high yield bonds, when credit risk rears its ugly head, they can drop almost as much as equities. High yield bonds during the financial crisis were down over 30%. But standard deviation is, is pretty low. So for equities, large cap equity standard deviation is usually in the mid to high teens. Corporate bonds, five to six. High yield bonds, seven to eight. Intermediate term government bonds, three and a half. Ultra short term bonds, only two. So you can see they're three times less risky than equities when it comes to volatility. Now, how do you buy bonds? How do you buy these bonds? One, you could buy individual bonds. There can be spreads there. There, 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 there. There's some costs. You can buy ETFs, exchange traded funds. They are lower costs. You get access to professional management, broad diversification, but you're also subject to that duration risk and and other investors selling and you locking in losses. Whereas individual bonds, you can hold them to maturity, and that's really the nice thing about laddered individual bonds. You you have full control, whereas in the fund category. You don't have full control. You're kind of at the whims of management as well as the other investors in that bond fund. And then active is def, def, is usually better than passive in the bond fund world. So it's different than equities. Active funds tend to actually outperform the indexes. Now, what's interesting here is if you look at its longer-term volatility and you look at the categories and how quickly losses turn into back into gains. We talked about this in equities. It can be a decade before losses actually turn back into gains. Whereas in the bond, di different bond categories, pretty much all of them within three, four years, you have a, a, you have a very low probability of losing money over a, you know, call it five-year timeframe. Only high-yield bonds and inflation-protected securities at short periods of time, five-year intervals, if you actually lost money. That's only about 3 to 5% of the time. The rest of the categories, you've made all your money back. So it's one of those things where bad years are actually a good time to buy bonds, typically. Um, but, you know, we've just gone through a 40-year bull market in bonds. So this is only looking over that time period. This is a new era. And so it's really about shortening up that duration. That's probably where your biggest risk is in this environment is taking too much duration going out, you know, 10 plus years in, in duration. And you actually probably want to take more credit risk because in an inflationary environment, there's actually less credit risk overall because generally prices are rising. All right. So that was the overview of taxable bonds. Now we're going into a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Or if you're listening via live stream on AM1220 in Silicon Valley area, you can call now at 888-99-CHART.
One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Let's go to Gene in North Carolina. Let's talk about taxable bonds. Hey, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. I wanted to follow sure. up on your comments about taxable bonds. Mm-hmm. So in, tax, in a taxable account, there are two components of a taxable bond that can be taxed. The, the, the note amount that you pay on a regular basis and also if there's any capital gains. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something unique about this particular uh, cycle right now that we're in bonds where bonds that were issued, let's say corporate bonds that were issued more than a year ago that had a very low coupon mm-hmm. that are right now trading on the secondary uh on on the secondary uh uh level mm-hmm. um to to get the same yield to maturity there many of them are are selling below par very so much if so. you hold them for more than a year mm-hmm. and to maturity and and they're redeemed at par there is a capital gain component and because it's uh it's a long term capital gain that that amount of your gain is possibly taxed on depending on your tax bracket at a much lower rate than the coupon is. Yeah, that is uh, that is something that I think is uh, most people haven't seen that in a while, right? Most bonds were right. were were trading at premiums because interest rates kind of went down, down, down. But now that is a a new feature, uh, and I actually like a lot of those. You know, a lot of people focus on income of the bond and they look at a coupon that might be only one and a half or two percent is it's too low but you know I, we look at it as your your total gain that there's two parts of the return like you said is the is the div or the interest payment that usually is semi-annually and then there's the appreciation between what you purchase the price purchase the bond at and then maturity or or uh, par and that can be complex for the average person to kind of calculate, but you want to make sure you're taking both into account because uh, in this environment, there are a lot of bonds. Most bonds probably now are trading at some sort of a discount. And you're right, you know, there is that nice um, capital gains, long-term capital gains uh, treatment that you'll get if you hold it uh, over a year. So a uh, great point and something that people just haven't been able to take advantage of for a long period of time. All right. Now let's grab another caller question from 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin or Steve. My name is Nicholas from Lincoln, California, and I wanted to get your thoughts on two stocks, Next Era Energy, ticker symbol NEE, and Enphase Energy, E-N-P-H. Uh, my question is kind of twofold. One, is now a good time to get into either of these stocks? They both seem to be in multi-year lows right now. Um, in a sector that's kind of beat up, and two, these are these are both stocks I would plan on holding for you know a minimum of five years, if not much longer than that. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on: Are these good long-term holds? They both seem to be, you know, leaders in their field, and both in you know either solar or alternative energy, which seems to have kind of a long-term trend of more and more solar and alternative energy. I just want to get your thoughts again. Nexter Energy and Enphase Energy is now a good time to buy. And uh, regardless of that, 
do you feel they're good longer term investments? Thanks for your time and all that you do. Now this is next next era energy. This is a utility out of uh, Florida. Uh, basically, it's Florida Power and Light that is its main business, and that distributes six million customers to in Florida. Uh, but it also has a renewable energy segment that generates and sells power throughout the United States and Canada, and that includes natural gas, nuclear, wind, as well as solar. And the the issue here with Nextera and a lot of these green energy names is that the cost of capital being so high has made a lot of these projects a lot less economical. And that's really the issue here. And if you look at, for example, Nextera's free cash flow, it's very negative. And a lot of that is because it's putting out a large capital outlay for these projects and they're selling that power back to the, you know, to, to, to uh, the grid, to utilities and to customers. And those are very economical when interest rates are very low or a lot more economical. Let's just say that some of them still weren't at, you know, three or 4% interest rates, but now those interest rates are many times double digits and it just doesn't make sense as much as it used to. And so there's, a readjustment phase that the entire industry is going through. And then you got on top of that where a lot of the inputs to these green energy projects are coming from China. And we know the geopolitical problems there. Uh, we know that there's environmental issues in China that they internally are trying to fix. And one of those is producing solar cells using coal very dirty way of, of, of creating these solar cells and that's changed. And there's you know, obviously regulations that are in the, the chips act and the inflation reduction act and all of that. And so the trends, the underlying structural trends within the space make it just more, a lot more difficult to, to navigate. Uh, and so neither one of these get me excited. The technicals on both are terrible. The te the the uh, the balance sheets for both Enphase and Next Energy are, are bad. So I don't see either one of these as exciting to, to get into at the current levels, uh, and they need to go much lower. All right. Now we're going into a break, so give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. On the next Invest Talk, we will look into the story behind this question. When stock when stock becomes worthless, can investors gain a valuable lesson? How can you know when it's time to move on? Now, according to the NASDAQ data, more than 15 million transactions took place on August 16th in shares of Failing Home Retailer, which filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in April. So we're going to look at that story tomorrow. But for now, let's answer another caller question. Hey, enjoy the show. Thanks for what y'all do. Uh, I want to get your thoughts and opinions on investing in market-neutral funds, especially at a time like this where there's a lot of volatility in the market, a lot of headwinds going forward that y'all have touched on on your show. Just general thoughts on market-neutral funds. Specifically, one that I'm looking at is Vanguard, VMNFX. Seems like it's done pretty well so far this year. Definitely has a higher expense ratio than traditional funds, but seems lower than some of the other ones I've seen for neutral funds. And then lastly, if you do think it's a good strategy, what percentage of your portfolio do you think is appropriate? Thanks. Look forward to hearing the response. All right. This is the Vanguard Market Neutral Investor Series, uh, VMNFX. And you're right. The cost is pretty high. The expense ratio, net expense ratio is 1.83%. That's very high for just a straight up uh, mutual fund. Now, here's my issue. Now, for everyone out there, what market neutral funds are is they are long a series of equities typically, and they are short a series of equities. So they might be, they might say, okay, we like Lowe's over Home Depot because of X, Y, and Z. And they might go long Lowe's and short Home Depot. And net-net, their, their goal is to outperform by Lowe's doing better than Home Depot. And that means in relative terms. So you could have a, a, a situation where the market goes down 20%. But because your market neutral, as long as Lowe's outperforms, maybe it goes down less than Home Depot, for example, you're going to be up, right? Because the the gains in the short outweigh the losses in the in the long. That's one example. Now, I don't know exactly what they're holding or anything like that. But the broader issue here is that just the returns of market-neutral funds long-term are very low. So what is, what is the advantage here? For example, this one's been around a long time. And it is it gets three stars by Morningstar, three out of five. So it's an average market-neutral fund. But if you look at the 10-year returns, 2.75%, which is better than the category, which is 1.75%. The category is 1.75%. The index, the market neutral index, 4.3%. Why not just buy a high-grade investment bond fund? 
investment grade bond fund. You're going to do much better than that. It's still going to be relatively low risk. Different type of risk, but it's still, you know, low risk, just like these are. I just don't find these very appealing. You're either long or you're short. And if you want something that's low risk, you can do that in the bond market and get better returns. On a 15-year basis, you know what the annual return is for this? 1.18%. Categories, 1.75%. So, I don't get it. Year to date, it's up 4%. Great. Corporate bonds, you know, high-grade short-term corporate bonds, probably up, you know, somewhere around that too. So, I, I don't see any reason to buy this. I would look for something in a different category. I don't like the market, market neutral funds. All right. Now my perspective today looks into the history of the coins used in the United States. And we're going to reach back 371 years. Now I love, I love these perspectives. The reason we do this is because I think it's very important for everyone to have long-term viewpoint of markets, but also history. Because there's nothing new under the sun. What's happened in the past will happen again in different forms, different people, but it all has the, the shades of whatever's happening today that's happened in the past and shades of what will happen in the future that we've seen before, okay? And sometimes that's investor psychology. Sometimes that is the cycle within government and politics. And sometimes the cycle of just money in general. And if you go back to the British colonists, the 13 British colonies, we, they used a coin. And that was uh, issued by, that was issued by, uh, by England. And the Spanish dollar was the coin we used up until the origination of the United States. The Spanish dollar made legal tender in the unit in the U.S. until the Coinage Act of 1857. Can you believe that? So we've used foreign currency here in the United States, and it was used in Europe and even the Far East, and even Japanese yen, Chinese yuan, were initially based on the Spanish dollar. So that's happened here. Okay. Now, the Coinage Act of 1857 was the, an act of the Congress. It ended the status of foreign coins as legal tender, repealing all acts authorizing the currency of foreign gold or silver coins. Specific coins were exchanged at the Treasury and reissued new coins. Now, how do we get to minting the official United States coins? Well, the current United States Mint was created by Congress with Coinage Act of 1792. And the first mint building was in Philadelphia, which was the capital at the time. And the mint is not responsible for the production of Americans' paper money. That is actually responsible for the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. And if you know that. And we didn't actually print dollars until, when was that? I have it on here. 1861. 1861. Now, in the U.S. history, there have been a total of eight coinage acts, eight. So 
you know, for a long period of time, this was a contentious issue. And the rules changed. So could rules change in the future? Absolutely. Now, there was a coinage act actually not long ago, 1965. There had been a coin shortage as of 1959. And they, the Mint expanded production, tried to meet demand. In the early 1960s were time of increased use of silver, both in coinage and in industry. So the price of silver was going up. And it, this capped it at $1.29 per ounce by government sale at that price. Today, silver is worth $24.27 per ounce. $24.27 per ounce. Now, if we count for inflation, silver today priced less than the inflation-adjusted dollar in 1960. If we did, it would be $30.88 if we matched it for inflation. So this topic could go on forever, but let me wrap it up with a note on gold. What year did the U.S. stop making gold coins? 1933. And that was part of legislation to stabilize gold's value during the Great Depression. The Mint stopped producing gold coins. It banned the private ownership of gold coins and bullion. The law changed in 1974. But the Mint no longer used gold for circulating, circulating coinage. So that's a brief history on coins and hard assets, which you know I think we're going back to an era where hard assets are going to be more important uh, in, uh, in an era of, of inflation. So uh, I wanted to touch on that uh, because it gives a good understanding of where history is and the fact that money and the, the way money is uh, handled today will change at some point. Okay. Now let's touch a bit on the growth versus value trade. I've talked about this now for a couple months that the trade is starting to reemerge after last year, huge outperformance of value over growth. Growth's had a bit of a comeback uh, the first half of this year. But so far in the second half, that's actually reversing. Now, since June, growth stocks are down about 3.1%, where value stocks, and this was as of, yes, as of Friday's close, value stocks were actually down just 0.3%. Okay. So growth down 3.1%, value only down 0.3% since the end of June. The large the large value stocks have done the best. They're actually large cap value is up 0.3% for the second half of the year. Large cap blend up 0.1%. Those are the only two in the Morningstar style box that are actually up so far this uh, this year. And obviously today, that gained ground a little bit more. Now, what kind of stocks helped that so far? Well, it's been financial services, healthcare, energy, and parts of the technology space. Yes, there are technology stocks that are considered value. Now, in general, drug manufacturers and insurance companies have been the leading contributors, but oil and gas company EOG has had the largest impact in the overall value index gains. Second would be Amgen, the second largest contributor of 17% in the second half, followed by heavyweight financial conglomerate Berkshire Hathaway. Now, if you look back one year, it's about the same, okay? About equal. Value and growth today, probably uh, value beat it. So you could say value is probably up slightly over the last 12 months. But then you go back to the beginning of last year, 
obviously values greatly outperformed. And over a three-year trailing period, value stocks are up 14%, whereas growth stocks are down, or sorry, are only up 3.3% over a three-year period. Now, what part did the best? Small cap value up 18.1% over the last three years. The worst, small cap growth down 1.2% annually. So good little overview there. And what's interesting is you still have, over the past couple of months, some big movers. Look at the AI space, right? NVIDIA up big. So value is still outperforming even with some big growth stocks doing very well and some value stocks really getting hurt. Hawaiian Electric, obviously, down because of the line of fires. Dick Sporting Goods, Macy's, Dollar Tree, those are all down pretty big. But in general, you still have the value side outperforming. So I thought that was an uh, interesting rundown of the growth versus value trade so far in the back half of this year and kind of looking back over the past 18 to 36 months. Now, this invest talk, let's keep things moving and go back to the, our voice bank for a question that came in earlier on 888 chart. This is Marcos Luna from Colinga, California, and I'm calling about a question for Justin about ticker symbol CPA, Coupa Holding. That's my take on the airlines. And this is, I know this is a South American-based company, but the fundamentals are really good. And I just wanted to know, is this thing a strong company for years to come? whole time is about minimum three to five years. Can't wait for your answer. Thanks for all that you guys do. Have a good day. All right. This is Coupa Holdings. Let's see. What country is it out of? Out of Panama. Panama City. It operates airline passengers as well as cargo services through its subsidiaries. Looks like its hub is in Panama City. Interesting. Okay. A lot of Operations in Colombia, South America, Central America, the Caribbean. Now, here's the issue. If you look at the chart, it peaked out in 2014, $158 per share. Now we're at 100 So its performance has been pretty poor, even over a time where broader equities, even foreign markets are, are up. So that's one issue. Now, what have they been doing since then? They've been buying back shares. That's a positive. Okay, I like that. 44 million shares in 2014, now only 39 million. So not a big drop, but a drop nonetheless. It's profitability, return on equity, 23%. But historically, the, the return equity has been in a downtrend. I think that's you know the kind of broader issue here is that profitability continues to get worse. Although recently, it's got a bit better. So you have this longer-term trend of profitability suffering, but near-term, it's doing well. 2019, pre-pandemic, made $7.92. Lost money in 2020. That's expected during during COVID. Barely made money in 2021. Made $8.26 last year. Supposed to make $14.64 this year. And I think that's what you're looking at. If you look going forward, if they actually are going to make 14 and change this year, 16 and change next year, it's it's a low multiple. Obviously, there are risks with the you know, geopolitical risks uh, with the, the areas that they operate. Uh, I, they do have a good amount of debt in their balance sheet. That's a bit of an issue for me. The technicals, let me look at the technicals. It did have a recent big drop. Pullback and to the 100-day, 200-day moving average, which I will say is good support. It's bounced off there. But this was a pretty strong 
decline from 120 all the way down to the low 90s in just a span of a few weeks. So that is my issue is the technicals have reversed. And the last time it had a big reversal after a big run, because remember, this says run from middle of last year it was around 50, mid 50s, then run, ran to 120. So it doubled in the span of a year and a big reversal on the monthly chart. And so technically, I don't like that recent setup. And I don't like the longer term trajectory of profitability. So I'm passing on CPA. Uh, because of all of those reasons. All right, thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every weekday, and that's to help you, help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. Everyone's starting from a different place, and your goals are different, but the principles are largely the same. So that's what we're here to help you master. So our work continues after this final break. So if you have a question, you want to get it in right now at 888 chart Today, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hi, Justin or Steve. Love the show. I'm calling today about Modine Manufacturing, ticker symbol MOD. It's a small or mid cap company that caught my eye. It actually has thermal management solutions for cars, but also data centers. So I was thinking about a picks and shovels play on data centers and stuff like that. It has run up a lot recently or throughout this year, even with the small pullback to the moving averages. I'm wondering if you can take a look at the numbers and let me know what you think. Am I too late to have a position in this stock? Uh, let me know, please. Thank you. Always appreciate your guys' time. All right, looking at Modine Manufacturing, and they provide thermal management solutions to diversified markets and customers. So powertrain cooling products, engine cooling assemblies, radiators, condensers, charge air coolers, etc. So really about thermal management. And this is very interesting. I've actually never heard of this name. It's still a pretty small market cap, even after this recent run, about $2.5 billion. But it was at $8 last year at this time, and now it's at $46.81. And that's because earnings have really taken a step change higher to from $1.95 last year. So it's to make $2.89 this year and $3.38 next year. No dividend, a little bit of debt, but it's fine. Nothing too crazy. What I like about this is that, A, it's profitable. right? Return equity, 35%, very high. Strong balance sheet. And these are the plays. This is this is yeah for data management. Uh, I think that's certainly possible. But this is more I've seen an EV play. More and more companies going towards EVs. Uh, I think that is something that they can help with. Advanced solutions for for electric vehicles as well as data centers. Uh, data center sales are up fifty five percent. Advanced solutions for EVs up twenty five percent year over year. So. These are some nice numbers here. And these are what I call picks and shovel types of businesses. And these are far better to invest in than your, your EV manufacturer, for example. Because these are crucial 
components, especially in an era where more and more things are getting electrified and thermal management is very important. And so I like this. It's repurchasing 100,000 shares or did during the quarter. Uh, repurchased 400,000 shares over the last year. It's about 1% of the float. Now, it is technically overbought. So I would need this to come down into the mid-30s for me to pick it up. Right now, it's in the mid-40s. But I like what you're looking at. Profitable, has good growth and good uh, secular tailwinds. So I'm going to give Modine Manufacturing a thumbs up. Uh, but I want to pull back into those mid-30 level. And that's probably where I'd pick it up. All right. Thanks for the call. Now, lastly, let's touch on some changes coming down from the SEC. And that is that was passed on Wednesday, three to two vote. And they're adopting new requirements for private funds. So talking about private equity funds, hedge funds. And so the this is impacting pension funds, university endowments, wealthy individuals. And I, li- I really like this change because what it does is it forces them to, A, do an audit. A lot of these private funds are don't go don't undergo an annual audit. Now they have to. And they don't have to deal detailed performance and expenses. Now they have to. Before that was just kind of negotiated with whoever was investing and saying, hey, these are these are sophisticated investors, endowment funds, pension plans, wealthy individuals. We don't need regulation around this. And the SEC, Gary Gensler says no. Says our quote, our investors, large or small, benefit from greater transparency, end quote. And I completely agree with this. I think this is a great push. And there's been not a lot of oversight. And now industry groups have tried to fend off these rules for more than a year. And they still didn't go through with uh, eliminating the carried interest loophole. But ultimately, this is going to mean good things for, I think, everybody in the investment world. And and that uh, Better Markets, an advocacy group uh, within the space, said the SEC rules marked an improvement, but still left investors in private funds exposed to shady practices. So it doesn't go all the way, but it certainly will help a lot of uh, to get rid of some of the the, the shadiness within that industry and bring transparency to a lot of those funds that uh, you really don't know how they're calculating things and what exactly those perform that performance looks like over time. All right. That does it. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Stephen, I thank you for listening and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. We have now achieved more than fifty five million downloads since it all began. Remember to follow the Invest Talk channels on social media. And join the InvestTalk community. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.